No, you recall Ruth, Ruth 1, 2, and 3. And uh, in Ruth chapter 1, you recall how Elimelech and his wife Naomi and her two sons left Bethlehem because they, they left the Lord in order to have better success elsewhere. They went to Moab. Elimelech died. The two sons died. Uh, they married outside of the covenant. They married foreign women. One was Orpah. One was Ruth. And if you look at the history of Ruth, you know, Ruth was a, from the line of Moab. And who was Moab? Moab was the son of Lot's daughter through incest. Can you imagine that? That's Genesis 19. Lot's daughter through incest. Sorry, Lot's... Yeah, so this Moab was the son of, uh, of Lot's daughter. And if you look at Deuteronomy 23, the Moabites were never allowed to uh, enter into the congregation of Israel. Now can you imagine? Christ... Christ includes her, Ruth, in his family tree. Okay? So we come to the story now in, in Ruth chapter 3, which let's read together, Ruth chapter 3. And you begin to see how the Lord is working in Naomi and Ruth's life, brought them back to Bethlehem. And we'll read Ruth chapter 3. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now Boaz, whose young women you are with, is he not a relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make for yourself, do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down, and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, All that you say to me I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. It happened at midnight that the man was startled, turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your maidservant. <gasps> Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. Then he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter. For you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning, in that you did not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, don't fear. I will do for you all that you request. For all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative. However, there is a relative closer than I. Stay this night. In the morning it shall be that if he will perform the duty of a close relative for you, good. Let him do it. But if he does not want to perform the duty for you, then I will perform the duty for you as the Lord lives. Lie down until morning. So she lay at his feet until morning, and she arose before one could recognize another. Then he said, Do not let it be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. Also he said, Bring the shawl that is on you and hold it. 
And when she held it, he measured six ephahs of barley and laid it on her. Then she went into the city. When she, had came, when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Is that you, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her. And she said, These six ephahs of barley he gave for me. For he said to me, Do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Then she said, Sit still, my daughter, until you know how the matter will turn out. For the man will not rest until he has concluded the matter this day. Of course, the conclusion we see in chapter 4. At this point, we're not knowing which husband, right? Whether it be Boaz or somebody that's closer, a closer relative. So yeah, really, it really points to Christ, right? Boaz is a type of Christ here. But um, you think of the season of Christmas, right? Times of happiness and times of singing. You hear it in the malls, the carols, and people are all excited. But it's often the season that makes people more sad, isn't it? The sadness is really deep, deep, deep within. People often feel more lonely, more depressed, more sadness from loss, and sometimes just the sadness of just feeling empty, empty life. <clears throat> and you know the book of Ruth really is an encouragement for God's people in difficult times. It's filled with so much promise, so much hope for the destitute, for the poor, for the oppressed, for the widow, here in this case, for destitute women, Naomi and Ruth. Remember, they lost their husbands. Naomi lost her husband and her sons. They left the Lord. And now they come back empty. They came back to Bethlehem. Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. They came back empty. Naomi said, don't call me Naomi anymore. Naomi means pleasant. She said, call me Mara. What's Mara mean? Bitter. Yes. That means bitter. Bitter, exactly. Mara means bitter. That's exactly how she felt. But you know, there's one daughter-in-law that came back with her, and that's Ruth. You know, from that yucky land, Moab, a foreigner, the one who was from a daughter of Lot by incest, ultimately, many years later, she comes back with Naomi. But you know what? Who causes them to come back to the house of bread? Who causes them to come back to the Lord? God does. He brings them back. This is so beautiful. And, and there you see the glimmer of hope. As a matter of fact, Ruth says, you know what? I'm leaving my idols. I'm leaving my gods. Your God, he says to Naomi, will be my God. Your people will be my people. She embraces the promises of God by faith. What a courageous woman. One who was a foreigner. One who was never allowed to enter the assembly of Israel. The congregation. But Naomi returns, and guess what happens? She returns to the Lord with all her heart. The Lord blesses. What an encouragement for us to trust the Lord in spite of whatever difficulties we may be going through. We saw in chapter 2 from Reverend Limus last week that 
God, through Boaz, provided an abundance of food and offers Ruth protection as she gleans the grain. All so unexpected. You see how God is working out all the details in their lives because they have come back to the Lord under his protection. Wow. And now in Ruth 3, we see God provides even more. He's going to provide a redeemer. Now, a redeemer in those days was one who would so-called buy the family out. Don't forget, there's only widows left. But this redeemer will save the family and their name from dying out, the name of Elimelech. It was done out of faith because perhaps, every family was thinking, perhaps Christ will come from my family. Perhaps Christ will be born from my family. And so the concept of Redeemer was very, very important. If you go back to Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10, it was stated here that if a brother dies, or if a husband dies, then his brother should marry that woman. It was very much the, uh, the law in those days. And so the Redeemer here would buy the family back, the family name, and also buy the property back, because they also lost their property, their inheritance. But in all these details in history, we see God working out his gracious promise for the coming of a greater redeemer. You know, Boaz is a redeemer, but it points to a greater redeemer, Christ. And understand that he left his glory. He left his status. He humbled himself, entered into our suffering, taking upon himself our sinful flesh. No one has ever suffered as much as he did. But he did so because he came down to enter. To take upon himself the punishment for our sin. And to what? To redeem. To redeem us from our sin. That's really the message of Christmas. And all of that here points to that message of Christmas. What you see here, God is working out his plan already back then. 1,200 years before the birth of Christ in the story of Ruth. He's working on his plan, using a foreigner, using one that was yucky to the Israelites. And he includes her in the family tree. He's working on his plan. And we see that in three ways in chapter 3. He does so through Naomi's plan. He does so through Ruth's proposal. Yeah, Ruth is proposing to Boaz. And, so, and third of all, through Boaz's promise. So think of plan, Naomi's plan. Ruth's proposal in verses 5 through 9 and Boaz's promise 10 through 18. It's not just a human story. It's God who's the center. He's the main character and he's working out his plan. Even though they don't realize all what's going on. They're unaware. But we look back and we say, wow. Look at Naomi's plan. That's the mother-in-law of Ruth. Naomi herself is a widow. Elimelech has died. And who enters into their very messy situation? The Lord does. They don't deserve it. But you know what? He's a God. He's the God of grace. He's the God of love. Really very much pointing to Christ who enters into our messy situation. The Lord enters into their messy situation. And we see God now graciously working in Naomi's life for the good of his people. You know, you get to see here, Naomi 
wanted to be called Mara, which means bitter. But now you begin to see Naomi's faith beginning to sparkle. It begins to shine. And her faith shows in her action. You notice that? When we believe in the promises of God, that will, how shall I say it, sharpen our faith. It will drive us to act. That's what true faith, true faith works. True faith is never passive. True faith never sits. Because nothing gets done. God uses means. God works through means. And you see that here. Faith shows in action. You can tell that Ruth really believes in the promises of God because it shows in how she is believing in those promises. She's going to act. She's going to plan. And that's what she does here. She initiates a plan. It's risky. It's really risky. But it's well thought out. And what you see here is she's being faithful to the Old Testament law. Right? The law of the redemption of the wife. And she knows that, that there is a man that needs to be responsible. There needs to be a nearest relative who can marry the daughter-in-law, Ruth. That's what, that's what Naomi means when she says to Ruth in verse 1, see verse 1, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? She's thinking of Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10. The security she's looking for is a marriage and a home for Ruth. It seems so unlikely. Who wants Ruth? Who's going to take in Ruth? Who'd want her as a wife? Yet Boaz, the one through whom God was showing so much loving kindness and care to Ruth and Naomi. And now Naomi says, is Boaz not our relative? So who's going to initiate? Who's going to initiate this process? Who's going to make the first move? Boaz isn't saying anything. At this point, he's not taking the responsibility. He's older. He's an older man. Maybe he's shy. Maybe that's why. Uh, Ruth is a foreigner. She's a Moabitess. But somehow, they need to get his attention and to remind him of his responsibility. You just see so many human... It's so human, this story, isn't it? You know, people often look to the miracles, to the show. But God is just at work in the details of everyday life. <laughs> and he's at work here. Listen, Ruth, says Naomi. Boaz is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor in the barn. Now, what would happen at the threshing floor? They would take the stalks of grain that were gathered and they would beat them. Right? They would beat the grain from the stalks. And in this case, Boaz would winnow the grain. What that means is that he would take a, a piece of wood with a sifter in it, and he would sift the grain so that the chaff would be blown away by the, the winds, right, blown away, and the grain itself would drop on the ground. And as Boaz does here, he would sleep the whole night, right? He would sleep the whole night at the threshing floor. Why? Because, remember, Israel was not faithful to the Lord. There were a lot of thieves. People were not obeying the Lord. And so, they had to guard the grain piles from thieves that might come in and 
try to steal the grain away. Israel wasn't what, what, what it should be. It wasn't faithful to the Lord. But anyway, Naomi says to Ruth, you go to the thresh, threshing floor. But first, wash yourself. And anoint me perfume. Put lots of perfume on yourself. And you put on the best clothes. The best clothes possible. That's a love story. It's a love story in the making, even before any wedding happens. You notice that she's not dressing up as a poor, destitute person, gleaner, but she's dressing herself as a bride. As a bride, adorning herself, making herself ready for her Redeemer by the grace of God. And here she pictures Israel. Israel waiting for the coming promise, waiting for the coming bridegroom, waiting for the coming Redeemer, Christ, the one who would purchase us. Though Israel was doing their own thing, living as they wanted to, and though they were not preparing for the coming of Christ at this time, notice this, Ruth, an outsider, one outside of Israel, she becomes the example of faith what Israel should be, but is not. Here you see Ruth, right, by the grace of God. Not because she's anything in herself, but she has made her, she's making herself ready. Today, you know, Christ has come the first time. But in a certain sense, we're also preparing ourselves, are we not? Preparing ourselves, waiting in expectation, in anticipation for the second coming of Christ. How are we preparing ourselves? You come today. You come tomorrow. But how are we preparing ourselves? Revelation 21 pictures the church as Christ's bride at the second coming of Christ, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Ruth saw it. She believed it. She was committed to her God because she believed in the promises of God, God's commitment to her. Naomi now gives Ruth specific instructions. You know, how is she going to plan this out? It's very risky. It's very dangerous. She has to do it with great tact. If you look at verses 3 and 4, Naomi says to Ruth, you go there, but don't let Boaz see you. You, let, you know what she had to be there? You let Boaz eat and drink first, his, his food, his dinner. And then when he goes lay down, you... You take note where he lays down. Because it's going to be dark. But you can sort of see the form of where he would lay down. And then, and then you go in into that threshing floor. And you approach him quietly. And when he's sleeping, you uncover his feet. And you lie down under the end of his blanket. So he had to lift up the blanket and put herself under the end of that blanket. You notice there's something very symbolic here. The same blanket Ruth is making known that she should become his wife. By sharing that same blanket, Ruth is saying, yeah, I should be your wife. But at the same time, sleeping at his feet shows that she does not yet have that status as wife. Naomi's plan seems so complicated. This thing seems so complicated. Why don't you just be bold and upfront and just say it? Everything is so... You, see, you know, you say, why is it so complicated? 
Why so? Well, think about it. Naomi considers the possibility that Boaz might say no to Ruth's request. And that's why she makes sure that Ruth meets him at night where nobody can see her going there. And nobody sees him as they talk. This way, if Boaz does say no to Ruth, at least nobody knows. Ruth has no shame and Boaz has no shame. And that her future is not at risk. At least her future of marriage. But the most important thing was to listen to Boaz's advice. What does Naomi say to Ruth? He will tell you what you should do. You see how Ruth here, how Naomi here, respects the headship of Boaz. Really important. He's the head. He's the redeemer. And so you respect him, whatever he says. You honor him. That he will do the right thing. Ruth also honors her mother in saying, all that you say to me, I will do. What a beautiful daughter-in-law, mother-in-law relationship here. <laughs> when you see that. But you know what? It was the faith that united them. That's why they could live in this way together. No doubt, Naomi prayed for the Lord's blessing and Ruth disappears. It's night. She goes out into the probably the early darkness when it's maybe a little bit light yet and she does everything that her mother-in-law tells her except for one thing we'll see that in a little bit and what does she do she's going to go there to make her proposal usually men propose but Boaz is not sometimes men don't see things right and they don't necessarily um, get it and so the Lord is now using Ruth to kind of nudge Boaz to make the ultimate proposal. And that's what we see happening here. Boaz eats and he drinks, he has a supper, and he lays down at the end of the heap of grain, guarding the grain. It's night. And now you observe that little feminine touch here. The waiting bride comes softly, quietly, without notice. You know, you can just imagine the the feet walking in very ever so, slow, ever so slowly. And she gently lifts up the blanket. Boaz doesn't wake up at all. She uncovers his feet and she lays down. What a risk. I mean, she couldn't be more bold. You could say more forward as a lady. Well, you might say, well, that's what we think. That's what we think. But Ruth is doing the right thing. She's doing the right thing. She's trusting the Lord. She's a godly woman. She's moving forward in faith. And she's going to remind Boaz of his responsibility. She goes forward in faith, believing in God's promises. She honors her mother-in-law. She's not sinning. She's not compromising her reputation. But she needs to get Boaz's attention. And I think we should add from verse 10 as well that we come to know Boaz also as a godly man and he does not despise Ruth for what she does. As a matter of fact, he ends up respecting her. He respects her for what she does because she's reminding him of the right thing to do. What the Bible says to him. And she, he respects her for that. 
And there she is, laying at his feet. Midnight. Dark. And all of a sudden, Boaz is startled. He sits up, he looks around, and he sees a form of a woman at the end of his, his bed, at the end of his blanket. I mean, wouldn't your heart be pumping? Mine would be. His no doubt was. Maybe Ruth did that on purpose. Maybe Ruth made some sort of movement. Maybe he was, she was tickling his feet. We don't know. But somehow, he woke up startled and knew that she was there. <coughs> he wakes up, turns over, and sees her. Who are you? Who are you? Imagine Boaz being unsettled, his heart pounding, so unexpected. It's an intense moment. And you can now hear Ruth answer softly, Your maidservant. Take your maidservant under your wing, for you are a close relative. This is another way of Ruth saying, Marry me. Marry me. This is your responsibility. Of course, she says that in a very humble, respectful tone. Some days before, she remembered what Boaz had said to her. Remember what Boaz said to her? He said to her something about what the Lord was for her. What did he say? He talks about the Lord under whose wings you have come for refuge. Boaz saw how the Lord had brought Ruth into the congregation of Israel and came under his wings. And Ruth remembers that. And now Ruth is using those same words, under the wings, proposing to Boaz and saying, Yeah, but Boaz, you are those wings that God has provided. You're the one. You're those wings. That God provides for refuge. You know, Ruth has been trusting the Lord all along. She sees how the Lord has brought her into the congregation under his wings. And therefore, does the Lord not provide Boaz now to spread his wing over Ruth? That's the way the Lord provides. I mean, think about it this way too. The loving kindness of the Lord shown to us. How that should also be expressed to one another. Right? It should overflow. Right? That's the way of loving kindness, the loving kindness of the Lord. You know, later in the Old Testament, we read these beautiful words in Ezekiel. Israel was unfaithful to the Lord. The Lord had chosen Israel to be his bride and his grace. But he takes her back. And he says, your time was a time of love. So I spread my wing over you. When you think of wing, think of protection and presence and covenant. It's so rich. He said, I covered your nakedness. I was swore an oath to you. You entered in and entered into a covenant with you, and you became mine. It comes later again in the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, the wings. In God's timing, God sent his son to sacrifice himself on the cross to pay for the sins of his bride. The week before he went to the cross, Jesus said to his bride, to his people, how often I wanted to gather your children together. He talks about his people. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. You were not willing. Wow, the Lord was wooing his unfaithful bride, calling her to come back. Come back for protection, for refuge. 
How opposite you see that in Ruth. But here you see in Ruth a waiting bride so willing, so ready to be under God's wing through Boaz. The Lord works through Ruth's proposal for our sakes so that we too today can be under the wing of Christ. I mean, had this not worked out, Christ would never have been born. This was God at work. Think of all the potential obstacles. Think of the obstacles in your daily lives. And then now going beyond those obstacles and trusting the Lord, he will work out every detail. He did that here. He worked out every detail so that you would have one and I would have one in whom we can find refuge, under whose wing we can find refuge. Because we know that Christ was also a descendant of Ruth and Boaz. How does Boaz respond to Ruth's proposal? We see that in verses 10 through 18. Finally, we see how God works through Boaz's promise. God's working out his promise through Boaz's promise. You notice here in verse 10, Boaz calls Ruth blessed. He praises Ruth for her courage, for her loving kindness. She was seeing it straight. She reminds him. You know, Ruth could have gone after young men, something that was more pleasing. But Ruth is here to serve the Lord, to serve the Lord in his covenant. That's the most important thing. Not position, not young men, not beauty, not money, but the Lord. The Lord comes first. And Ruth saw it. And Ruth makes a bold proposal to Boaz. And now he replies, My daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all that you ask. Now notice here something very interesting. You could say it's a bit of humor in the very ordinary details of everyday life. Ruth here doesn't quite do everything that Naomi told her to do. Because what did Naomi say? Boaz will tell you what you should do. But what happens? Ruth tells Boaz what to do. <laughs> okay, so Ruth tells Boaz what to do. And then Boaz says, okay, I'll do everything that you request. So it turns around the exact opposite way. A bit of irony here. But yes, she needs Boaz to pay the price for her redemption. To buy Naomi back. Her name, her family, the deceased Elimelech, his property, so that somehow the family name would continue. And now the Lord provides a redeemer for Ruth. But the question is now, which one? Boy, you think, of, you, you, think you face obstacles in your daily life. Lots of obstacles. And we start wondering, what am I going to do? You can imagine the obstacles that Ruth faced here in Naomi. Because now Boaz says, yes, I'm a close relative, but there is one who's closer than I am. Boaz is very willing to be the redeemer. But the first rights go to a relative that's even closer to her than he is. So Boaz makes a vow. He says, if he doesn't want to, if the one that's closer doesn't want to perform that duty, then I will. As the Lord lives, I will do that. Well, you can imagine what a long midnight talk that was. It wasn't scandalous. No, it was just a long talk. 
we would almost say, where's the wedding ring? Yeah, but no wedding ring yet. No engagement ring yet. In the morning, Ruth would come to know whether it is Boaz who would be her husband or whether it would be the closer relative. Just a few hours away, you can imagine Ruth biting her nails. You can imagine the suspense. I mean, just the obstacles, the fears, the worries. But she must continue to live by faith. She must trust the Lord. She must continue to walk in His ways, trusting that the Lord will work out every detail in His life. You know what? You do that, there's blessing. We don't do that, there's no blessing. Okay? So true. Trusting the Lord and walking in His ways. In the meantime, we know from the passage it was not safe to walk home in the dark. And that's why Boaz says, you stay here until the morning and then you can go home. But then again, not so late in the morning, it had to still be a little bit dark so that nobody could see that Ruth was there and she could come home unrecognized. Otherwise, bad rumors and gossip could begin. But before she leaves in the morning, what does Ruth, what does Boaz ask for? Boaz asked for Ruth's big shawl. It's kind of wide, like a wide scarf. And now he asked her to hold it out and he would fill it up with grain. And he fills it up with barley. You know, if you look at 2.17, it took Ruth one full day to glean one ephah of barley. One full day. And now, what does Boaz do? He fills it up with six ephahs. That's about 13 liters of barley. Just pours it in. And then he ties it up and puts it on her shoulder and says, you go home with this to your mother-in-law. You could say, this is about as close to a wedding ring you can get. As Boaz has signed his pledge of his promise to redeem her if the other declines. Ruth returns home and the first question from Naomi her mother-in-law is, how did it go? How did your meeting go? And Ruth, no doubt full of excitement, tells all that Boaz had done for her. And he shows her the 13, she shows her the 13 liters of barley that she had given her. And Ruth says, he also said to me, do not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. You know, that sign of barley served as a sign to Naomi that her emptiness was past. The Lord had become to her, her fullness, full of truth and grace. Her fullness. You know, that's where we find our fullness. Nothing in the world will provide that fullness. Nothing. No matter what we do, where we go, it's only the Lord that will provide that fullness. And Ruth and Naomi, they receive it by faith. Not because they were so good. Look at their past. Look at their sordid past. The Lord provided a redeemer. Which one? We come to know him from chapter 4. But in the meantime, you see God in his great care, working out his promises for our redemption, a far greater redemption. Boaz points to Christ, a far greater and perfect redeemer, fuller, richer. He, the Son of God, he humbled himself, by becoming man for our sakes, he stripped himself. 
That's how much he loved us. He stripped himself of his glory that he had with the Father from all eternity. He humbled himself to be born in a little manger. What love, what commitment, what great commitment from one who's willing to spread his wings over you. Are you willing? Are you willing to come to him? Come to him. Come to him. He was born in this way in order to become your redeemer. He came to take on the full responsibility by taking upon himself all of your sin, all of your guilt. Think of Ruth. In order to give you life, to give you a new name, a new inheritance that's eternal. You talk about the inheritance of the world, house, home, car, nothing. That's nothing. All that's just going to burn up anyway. But a new name, a new inheritance. That's what Christ came to give. He cared. If he cared enough to die for you, will he not care for you in every other way? Maybe you feel burdened. Maybe you feel afraid. Maybe you feel at a loss. Maybe you're dealing with strong temptations. Maybe you're dealing with bitterness. Maybe you're feeling that you're in the traps of sin. You don't know what to do. You feel far from God. You know who was in that situation? Naomi. Naomi. That's us. It's us. You think you're... You think your sin is too great that God can't come to you? God can come to you. He does. He offers his wings to all who come to him in faith and repentance. He's yours. Come to Christ. Turn to him. John 1.14 says he became flesh. Full. He's full of truth. He's full of grace. Full of grace. He's sufficient. He is the all-sufficient one to meet all your needs. The one who stripped himself of his glory for you and died on a cross. The cross, which is a symbol of the curse, taking upon himself the responsibility on our behalf. He knows what you go through. He knows every detail. He knows better what you go through than yourself. you yourself knows. He understands temptations. He went through every one of those temptations. Hebrews 4, tempted in every way like us, except without sin. He knows the loss we experience. Lazarus died. Christ wept. His friend, he knows. He understands. But he has the power to do something about it. He gives power to the weak, says Isaiah 40. And those who have no might, he increases strength. He's the one. Everything else will fail you. People will fail you. People disappoint you. Even fellow members disappoint you. That happened in the age and time of Ruth too. Fellow members disappointed her. But go to Christ. He never disappoints. He never fails. He never leaves. and never forsakes all who trust in him. Think of it this way. Think of your baptism. Your baptism. In your baptism, God shows that he spread his wing over you. 
He put his mark on you and says, you are mine. You belong to me. The world may not touch you. Satan cannot touch you. He redeemed you with his blood. Sign and sealed. He signed and sealed his relationship with you with his blood. Sealed. Fixed. You have all his promises. All his promises. They're given through him, through faith in him. A new name, a new inheritance. And as bridegroom, he is ever faithful, he is ever true. You know, we live in a world where there's so little trust. Israel, in which Ruth lived, there was so little trust between the people. May that never be here. May that trust, that loving kindness that Boaz showed continue to multiply among us. But you know what? He's perfect. He never breaks his promises, our bridegroom Christ. What a comfort. Think of 2 Corinthians 8. For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Rich in name, rich in inheritance. <clears throat> Amen.